Hello, hello, welcome one and welcome all to the Around the World podcast. I am your host, it's me, the one, the only, Clark Van Deventer. All right, today on the podcast, we are going to Spain. All right, hey, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, especially if you have been listening to this podcast for the past few months, okay, I right before I click record, I counted. We have spent the past 14 weeks in Africa. So for 14 weeks or 14 episodes of this podcast, I have asked you to picture in your mind's eye the African continent. And I have explained to you, or I have tried to guide your mind's eye to where these African countries are, all right? So, of course, longtime listeners of the podcast know that this podcast is a spinoff of my hit class on OutSchool, OutSchool.com, and my students on OutSchool don't have to picture it in their mind's eye. We are looking at maps together. But for you, for you, dear listener, you have to picture it in your mind's eye. And so, like, I've, I've said, like, Tunisia, right? And I'm like, that's that. Tunisia is that little northernmost country in Africa. It's it's the little-ish country that is sort of wedged in between two big countries, two, the two big countries being Algeria and Libya. And it's the northernmost country on the African continent. It kind of sticks up there into the Mediterranean, almost like it's just trying to reach higher than its neighbors. And if you've been following this podcast over the past 14 episodes, I hope, I hope you feel a little bit better about your African geography. Like maybe some of these places like Zimbabwe or Mozambique were just names to you before. Like they were, you knew they were countries on the African continent, but you couldn't picture them. You couldn't pinpoint them. So maybe now your African geography is just a little bit better than it was 14 episodes ago, if you stuck with us all this time. All right, so now get ready, because here is my promise to you. My promise is that if you will stick with me for the next 14 weeks, you're going to level up your European geography. All right, wherever you are, your, your European geography is going to get a little bit better. Uh, I don't know if it'll be 14 weeks. We're gonna sp- we're gonna spend about 14 weeks. Something okay, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But we'll spend about um, 14 weeks or so, three months or so, um, touring around Europe. All right, we are entering Europe through Spain, which makes sense because the last country we talked about in Africa. All right, so the last podcast was an Africa wrap-up, but before we did our Africa wrap-up, the last country we looked at specifically in Africa was Morocco. All right, and so it makes sense, right? Uh, Spain is Europe, it's on the Iberian Peninsula, and it's at this point, the Strait of Gibraltar. The Strait of Gibraltar is the waterway 
between Africa and Europe that connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Atlantic Ocean. And it's the straight up Gibraltar, right? If you can picture this map in your mind's eye, Europe and Spain and Portugal kind of stretching down on the Iberian Peninsula, Africa, it almost closes, the Mediterranean Sea almost closes. But that connection point between the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea is the Strait of Gibraltar. It's only eight miles wide. That's the distance. Eight miles separates Africa and Spain. Eight miles separates um, or Africa and Europe, right? Or Spain and Morocco. Okay, now let's talk about the tunnel. Because there, okay, there's been talk of a tunnel to connect Africa and Europe. So uh, you, you may have heard of the channel, right? The channel goes under the English Channel, and that connects England with France or England with the European continent. There has been talk of a tunnel to connect Spain and Morocco or Europe and Africa. Um, and let me just say this. First of all, it would be a that it would it would be a much shorter tunnel. Like, so it seems like they could pull this off. It'd be it's shorter than the, the tunnel that connects England and France. And Spain and Morocco have both actually committed to the idea. There's been talk for a long time, but in February of this year, February of 2023, the two sides committed to begin construction. All right, now they committed to begin construction in 2030. So we'll see, right? Politics, right? We look, it's easy for it's easy for today's politicians to commit tomorrow's politicians to do something. So we'll see if if future politicians actually follow through on this. But that's the word right now, right? In 2030, construction is supposed to begin on a tunnel to connect Spain and Morocco. Um, all right, again, Spain, this is the Iberian Peninsula. Okay, so Spain, Iberian Peninsula. It's bordered by four countries. Okay, now, dear listener, can, can you name the four countries that, that Spain borders? Um, all right, so if, if you have a good sense of geography, you probably named two of them really quickly. Um, Portugal is to the east of Spain on the Iberian Peninsula. And France is to the, to the north and sort of the east. So th those are the two obvious ones, France and Portugal. But don't forget Andorra. Uh, Andorra is a tiny little mountainous country that is, I mean, it's it's wedged in between France and Spain, right? If you just follow the, the French-Spanish border, along that border, there's a little cutout, and that's Andorra. Um, Andorra is famous for skiing, and at ski resorts, there's a not very many, but uh, it's a small country. I think there's, I think, four ski resorts in Andorra. The whole country is only 180 square miles. Okay, now what's 180 square miles? For comparison's sake, the smallest U.S. state, the smallest U.S. state, do you know the smallest U.S. state? It's the state of, you know, 
Tell you, I, you, look, I know you're, what you're guessing. It's either Rhode Island or Delaware, right? So which is it? Is it Rhode, it's, it's Rhode Island. Rhode Island, about 1,500 square miles. So Andorra is only 180 square miles. So mu much smaller than the smallest U.S. state. But I got to thinking, if Andorra is famous for its ski resorts, let's <laughs> just like, let's compare it to a ski resort. So Heavenly Ski Resort in Lake Tahoe, which is my mountain, all right? It, I, it's where, I, I have more days of skiing at Heavenly than any other ski resort. I may, I'll have to think about this. I may have more days skiing at Heavenly than, than all other ski resorts combined, maybe. So I know Heavenly. So I was like, what if I compared Andorra to Heavenly, which is a big ski resort? Um, okay, so Heavenly Ski Resort in Lake Tahoe, California and Nevada. Heavenly Ski Resort or Heavenly Mountain Resort, whatever the official name is, 4,800 square acres. Okay, we're just putting Heavenly in acres, 4,800 acres. Andorra is 115,000 acres. Okay, so it's quite, right, it's quite a bit bigger than, than like just Heavenly Ski Resort. Uh, 115,000 acres is the size of the country of Andorra. Has a permanent population of about 80,000 people. Okay, so we've got three, right? We've got We've got Portugal, we've got France, we've got Andorra. What's the fourth country? The fourth country that borders Spain. The fourth country is, drum roll please. Do you know? Right, it's, it's the United Kingdom. Yes, the United Kingdom. Don't forget Gibraltar. Okay, right, I, I already dropped out that name, Gibraltar. We have the Strait of Gibraltar that divides Europe and Africa, but Gibraltar, is sort of the bottom tip of the Iberian Peninsula, and it is a British overseas territory. So here's the story. In 1704, Anglo-Dutch forces captured Gibraltar from Spain during the War of Spanish Succession, and the, ter the territory, as a part of that, as a result of that war, that territory was ceded to Great Britain, here's the key word, in perpetuity. All right, and it would become an important um, base for the Royal Navy, especially during the Napoleonic Wars, and then later in World War II as well. Gibraltar, though, is now a point of contention between the Spanish and the British because Spain wants it back. Politicians today reject that 1713 treaty. They, those politicians in 1713 agreed to, to cede Gibraltar to the British in perpetuity. And today's politicians don't like that. Um, the people of Gibraltar, however, apparently like being British because there have been not, not one, there's not been one referendum, there's been two referendums in recent history, one in 1967 and one in the year 2002. And, and these were referendums put to the people, like, should we transfer Gibraltar back to Spain? Now, the 1967 referendum, uh, there's more than 12,000 votes cast. 
and of 12,000 votes cast in the 1967 referendum, only 44 people voted to transfer Gibraltar back to Spain. <laughs> 12,000 votes. Who are these 44 people? Like, did they, I don't know. Okay, but point of contention between Great Britain and Spain. Spain wants it back. And finally, in the early 2000s, Great Britain is like, look, you can't have it, but we'll share it with you. And this was the idea. It was joint ownership. The British ambassador was like, look, okay, we're not going to give it to you, but we'll share it. But we got to let the people vote. Let's just see what, because we're not, we're not going to go against the will of the people. If the people want it, we'll give, okay, we'll share it with you, Spain. So. Remember the 1967 referendum, 12,000 votes cast, 44 of them were cast in favor of Spain. The 2002 referendum, there were more than 20,000 votes cast. And this time Spain got 187 votes of people voting for joint rule. Okay, I, I, first of all, joint rule, no thank you. Like I have enough time enough work, work to keep up with the laws and regulations of one federal government like i don't want two all right anyway spain our, okay our family is talking about i'm ex okay this is exciting for me i mentioned this in the last episode of the podcast right our family's talking about a trip to spain next year uh, my wife has been trying to get me to go to spain since we were first dating she spent a semester in college she studied architecture in college she spent a semester in europe most of that time in spain we've been lots of places all over the world not yet to spain but there's talk of a potential trip to spain uh, next year so i've been looking at spain for a long time and i've, I've been looking at it uh, more closely even recently right um so let's talk gaudi anthony gaudi the famed architect whose work you can see Throughout Spain, particularly, particularly in Barcelona, or Barcelona, uh, his most famous work still under construction, that is the Sagrada Familia. Um, the Sagrada Familia is a church. It, it's technically a basilica. That is its designation. It is not a cathedral. It's a basilica that has been under construction for many years well a long time it, construction began in 1882 1882 is when construction began gaudi died in 1926 all right there was hope that they would finish by 2027 which would have been the 100th anniversary of gaudi's death they have now basically announced they're not going to make that goal <laughs> well we're not going to uh, he's been dead for 100 years but we're not going to make the goal maybe 2030 by the way i should point out gaudi was okay with this timeline his famous line on the construction timeline was my client it here's what gaudi said my client is not in a hurry He's, he's like, I'm building this for God. God is God is my client. Do you think God cares if it takes 100 years 
He's like, what's what's 100 years or 150 years to the creator of the universe? This is Gaudi's take. Um, when I look at the Sagrada Familia, I think it looks like one of those drip sandcastles. All right, you know what I'm talking about? And like, I look at Sagrada Familia and tell me it doesn't look like a drip sandcastle. But that's if you look at it kind of from a distance. The more closely you look at it, like the more amazing, the more intricate, intricate the design and the detail really is. It's amazing. Um, we would technically call this like a hybrid of late Spanish Gothic and Art Nouveau. Um, his contemporaries referred to him as God's architect, which is pretty cool. I would take that. I would take that designation, God's architect. Um, he was a deeply religious man, a man of deep faith. Uh, Gaudi, like, it was like, look, God gave me this ability to design beautiful architecture, and I want to make beautiful architecture. He said, "He everything I design, everything that we have built, it's all for the glory of God. Devout Roman Catholic. Um, later in life, he attended Mass daily. As he got older, he got more and more, I don't know, eccentric, um, disheveled, you could almost say. Like, he, he like couldn't be bothered with, with like, I don't know, combing his hair. I, I don't know. Like, he was, and he was very wealthy, right? He was very wealthy at this point. He's a very accomplished architect. He, even though he was wealthy, let's just say he did not look the part. When he was killed, and by the way, he was killed in a freak accident. He lived a fairly full and long life. He died at the age of 73, died in an accident hit by a train car. Uh, and when he was killed, bystanders thought it was a beggar. He was not recognized as the famous architect. Um, Sagrada Familia, I mean... <laughs> This would be one of the highlights. The guys, I love running. I can't, I just want to, I want to check into my hotel and I want to go for a run. I want to run to Sagrada Familia. Um, a lot of his architecture also throughout the city, if you Google like Gaudi, Barcelona, I think a lot of his architecture looks almost Seussian. Like it looks like it belongs in a Dr. Seuss book. Um, Barcelona, La Rambla is the famous street, the famous promenade. Uh, many consider Barcelona the top or one of the top nightlife destinations in the world. It is the second largest city in Spain. The largest city is the capital city, which is, you know, it's Madrid. Um, okay, both Barcelona and Madrid, big cities. Madrid, more than 6 million people. Barcelona, more than 5 million people. Of course, the, what I think of, I'm 43 years old. What I think of when I think of Barcelona is I think of the 92 Dream Team, the 1992 Summer Olympics held in Barcelona. Okay, we spent 14 weeks reviewing Africa. Africa is pretty evenly divided between the two, re two religions with the most practitioners worldwide, this would be Christianity and Islam, with Southern Africa being predominantly Christian, um, North Africa being very predominantly Muslim. Um, in North Africa, we looked at lots of countries with famous and beautiful mosques, right? Muslim mosques. As we go into Europe, we're going to be looking at lots of countries 
to have a much stronger Christian influence. So where in Northern Africa, we were looking at lots of mosques and I, right, it was like every week I'd ask my students, what, what's a minaret? It's <laughs> like 14 weeks later, finally all my kids were like, I know what a minaret is, right? A defining characteristic of, of a Muslim mosque called a prayer, you know? Okay, so in Europe, we will be looking at Christian cathedrals or places like the Sagrada Familia, which, remember, is a basilica, will be getting used to terms like flying buttresses, which I always say, flying buttresses is my favorite architectural feature to say. It's just fun, flying buttresses. Um, more about flying buttresses when we go to France and look at Notre Dame. Uh, by the way, Sagrada Familia. Right? The fact that it will have taken about 150 years to complete Sagrada Familia. This is not unusual. Like, it's not unusual for these grand cathedrals or basilicas to take this long to build. Uh, speaking of Notre Dame in Paris and its flying buttresses, construction began in 1163, uh, largely completed by 1260. So it took about 100 years to complete uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. It wasn't fully completed until 1345. Um, Cologne Cathedral in Germany. Uh, 1248 is when construction began of the cathedral in Cologne, not finished until 1880. So that one took 632 years, Cologne Cathedral in Germany. So this is not unusual. What is unusual is when these things go up fast. All right. Now, St. Basil's, you know, St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow, which is amazing. Um, that was completed in two years. Of course, construction of St. Basil's was driven by Ivan the Terrible. So, right, if you're like, okay, we got to build this thing fast because I've been the terrible, we don't want him to get mad. Legend holds that ar the architects who does, this is, okay, is it true? You can Google it, but there's there's belief or there's some, okay, there's some belief or legend or whatever that, that I've been the terrible had his architects blinded after the cathedral was completed so they could never replicate anything like it again. All right, anyway, Spain. All right, okay, I should also point out before I move on from, from this. Um, so in Spain, okay, as we move into Spain, we're gonna get much more Christian influence. Um, but in Spain, we get significant periods of Muslim control and Muslim influence, particularly in Southern Spain. Okay, Spain, 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 Spain. Um, once a great empire. I asked my students this week, is Spain a great empire today? No. I mean, awesome country. Like, do you want to eat some paella? Do you want to watch Real Madrid take on Barcelona in a football match? Do you want to look at some paintings by Pablo Picasso? Do you want to walk the Camino de Santiago? Sure. Great, great country. Great empire? No. Okay, but it once was, right? Like, why does why does so much of the world speak Spanish, 
right? Because this was once a great empire. So what happened to this once great empire? All right, two events in world history. Um, one that I refer to as the beginning of the end of the Spanish empire, and one that I refer to as the end of the end of the Spanish empire. The beginning of the end of the Spanish empire is the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588. Um, and I always point to this event in history, the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588 as the beginning of the end of the Spanish empire. And this is also, by the way, the, the beginning of the rise of the British empire. Uh, by the way, there's that phrase again, by the way, I love saying by the way, um, ahead of this battle, we get one of the most epic speeches ever made by a head of state leading into battle. Queen Elizabeth I, when I say you know Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth I in 1588 addresses her troops and she says like I look I know I may be a weak and feeble woman but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too and who are these foul scum of Europe she calls them who are these foul scum of Europe who think they're going to come to my island and take me from my people okay we could have a whole discussion on the defeat of the Spanish Armada, which is an epic battle. And I teach a class on Outskull, five battles that changed the course of history. And we talk about that one in that class. Um, the end of the Spanish Empire, is, what, so if that's the beginning of the end, what's the end of the end? The end of the end is the Spanish-American War in 1898. As a result of the Spanish-American War, which the Americans win, uh, Spain is forced to give up all of its remaining foreign territories. That would be the Philippines, Puerto Rico, and Guam. All are transferred to the U.S. And in 1898, Spain is no longer a world empire. It is now just Spain. Great country, beautiful country, but not an empire. By Okay, by the way, by the way, there's a thing in Spanish history that is referred to uh, as the generation of 98, which is this sort of intellectual movement and a sort of national soul searching that went on at the time of and as a result of the Spanish-American War of 1898, right? the generation of 98. Um, and it was like this national soul searching, like, hey, if we're, look, if we're not a great empire, what are we? And it was this period of artistic movement in Spain, writers, poets, musicians, the generation of 98. And what Spain discovered is that it, it, look, it's better to create beautiful art and to make tapas than try to take over the world. All right. That's all I've got for you today. Next episode of the podcast, we are off to Portugal. All right, as always, as always, hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, click that follow button or leave a review or tell your friends, all right? Like spread the word about all the fun we're having, discovering these amazing places all around the world. As always, if you have kids, no kids, or are a kid, check out my classes on OutSchool. Link to my teacher profile page in the show notes. Or you can find me on Instagram. I am Clark Vand on the gram.
And if you go to my Instagram page and look at my bio, the link in my bio, that's the link to my teacher profile page on OutSchool. Again, at Clark Vand on Instagram. Or look, if you want to track me down, it's not hard to find me. Google me or just email me, clarkvand at gmail.com. All right, that's all I've... I'm serious. That's it. I'm done. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.